All right, so let's, okay. How do I say the region again? Falls? Is that what you called it? Faults? Falls? Let's just, let's Falls? quick Google it. Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Anne, and I am an aspiring fashionista. And I'm Drea, and I did not work this hard on this tan to not wear white whenever the fuck I feel like it. Good for you. You're welcome. Thought you'd like that in honor of our Labor Day episode here. Uh, so... To kick us off, as we always do, let's start with our reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. Anne, what are you cheersing and jeersing this week? Cheers to Jamie Loftus, a writer, comedian, and podcast host, that last one being how I know of her work. She is the creator of several really excellent podcasts that I love, including My Life in Mensa, The Lolita Podcast, The Ack Cast about the comic strip Kathy, and she's also co-host of The Bechdel Cast and a pretty frequent guest on Behind the Bastards. I love her. I think she's brilliant. Everything she does is great. You should listen to her. Wait, so are all of these podcasts? Yeah, she has all made all of these podcasts. Some of them are pretty short, like wow. the Lolita podcast and the Atcast. You know, they're not ongoing podcasts. They're sort of like a, a limited series, I guess I would say. But I think you would really enjoy the Lolita podcast in particular. I listened to the first couple episodes. I did listen to it. I was trying to listen to it, though, while I was working out. And I was like, no, this is too heavy for this activity. It is way too intense for that. I would listen to it and play the New York Times um, word puzzle and tiles game on my phone because it was like, then I could really focus. But I also had something to do with my hands and my eyes. Girl, take up knitting. This this sounds like I have hives. I'm nervous. <laughs> All right, fine. What are you cheers to get you? Didn't do your jeers yet. Stay oh. focused. <laughs> fine. Cheers to knitting and cheers Bye. to, for real, Andrew fucking Cuomo. Oh, Andrew. Uh, this will be old news by the time this podcast comes out, but this is the week that he left office and good riddance to bad rubbish. Fuck you, Andrew. He Cuomo. was like not even sorry, too. He was just like, well, there no, we go. not at all. Anyway, now what are you cheersing and cheersing? So my cheers is very special this time around. Uh, it's to my husband, John. We just celebrated him putting up with my ass for 14 years, which is a big, big deal since even my own mother thought I'd be divorced within two years. So ha! to all of you who thought we were going to get divorced, here we are still kicking along. And my jeers uh, this week is related to yet another terrible current event. Fire. Fire in California, fire in France, fire in Greece. Uh, it kind of feels like the whole world is burning, essentially. Uh, I guess for all the reasons, if you think about it. And it's not only devastating lives, but it could potentially devastate the wine industries in these areas. So uh, climate change is real. Just so we're all clear, science is real, vaccines are real, all those things are real. 
And if you like wine, you need to do something about it. So I highly encourage everyone to reach out to your local and national representatives, demand a Green New Deal, support wineries that engage in sustainable farming practices, and educate yourself as much as you can on the issue. Um, And, you know, if you're a wine drinker, especially, like, think about what's going into that glass, you know, and do your due diligence to support Uh, wineries that are really trying to minimize their impact on the environment to have a sustainable industry um, so we can prevent things like this in the future. And there's a lot of really great resources out there. Um, Wine Spectator, Wine Enthusiast, and Food and Wine Magazine all have recently run articles about the fire danger to the wine industry, um, and they're all directly linked to issues of climate change. So check those sources out. And yeah, continue to drink good juice. Great. All right. Dark. I mean, we both got real dark there. Like this is, this is, this is, which is fucking hilarious, because the wine that we're drinking, this episode is like the epitome of fucking happiness. The moment you look at it. It feels like we might need Great. that. We need yeah. that with uh, the cheers deserve it and the jeers, well, they're why we drink. So Right. So for our shenanigans segment this episode, uh, we decided that in observance of Labor Day and the changing of the seasons and some bullshit that you can't wear white after Labor Day or whatever, we are giving our best fashion do's and don'ts that go with being a wino. So consider us your own personal stylist. You're welcome. So to start with, uh, do learn how to get red wine stains out of your clothes. Be a grown-up. Carry a Tide pen and wine away wipes. It's not amateur hour, and you're better than this. You are. If you are above the age of 22 and you're able to drink wine, carry a Tide pen. You deserve it. Yeah, but for real. Um, There's nothing worse than a red wine stain, too, because it's... It's completely obvious. So definitely. And I would say, if you can, like, don't be ashamed. Work on that stain quickly. Like, don't wait. Yeah. Act on that soon. Go to the bathroom immediately. Take your shirt off. Wash it in the sink if you have to. I mean, I've turned a shirt, like, the other way around. It's, you know, you do what you got to do. Okay. So our next do is choose wisely. On the note of potential stains and spilling, you know, maybe select some clothes that could hide a wine spot, maybe get a festive print. Um, Anne loves prints, so she can tell you all about her love of prints. Uh, But, you know, choose something that if you are a clumsy bitch who trips and platforms all the time, like me, maybe get something that's going to hide some spillage. Also, do remember to dress for the weather. So consider the season that you're visiting and dress accordingly, Uh, especially with COVID protocols. Many tasting rooms or restaurants and bars are outdoors only, so plan accordingly. Layers are really great, and a costume change in the backseat of the car is also perfectly acceptable. I have seen Drea do it many times in Mexico. I mean, to be fair, I'll do it anywhere. But um, yeah, if you if you don't want to put all that thought into your clothing, at least do select appropriate footwear. 
Uh, if you're sweeping from the car to the cellar, I mean, by all means, gentlemen, wear those Oxfords that you just had shined. Uh, ladies, get some heels, live your best tall person life, whatever. But if you plan on taking a selfie amongst the vines or drinking your weight in two ounce pours, pick some sensible footwear that won't destroy the vineyards or cause you to break an ankle or that you're gonna potentially ruin. So, you know, just think it through a little bit. I love an ankle booty. I was just gonna say, an ankle booty, that's where it's at here. Yep, absolutely. So now that we've had some positive recommendations, here are some things to avoid. Uh, When you are going tasting at a winery, don't show up in yoga pants. Show some respect for yourself. Show some respect for the craft. Show some respect for everyone else who has to see you. Um, You know, if you want to drink wine in yoga pants or sweats, you don't need to go anywhere. That's what the couch is for. Yeah, that's what your house is for. No one needs to see that. And listen, I drink wine on my couch in yoga pants in fucking Disney themed yoga pants all the time. There's no shame in it. I'm not going to show up to a tasty room in that same outfit. On the flip side of don't show up in yoga pants, don't be a hoe. Just don't. You're going to a winery. Not No place. shame to hoes, though. Whatever you do in your bedroom no, I mean, yeah, your no, just like don't yeah, dress that no way at a winery. No shame to hoes. I don't need to see your butt, though. Like, I don't need to see cheek ass. Not unless you're like, Lizzo. Anywhere. Yeah, fair, fair. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. Um, But, you know, this is not your own personal version of Sideways, so just, like, calm the fuck down, right? Like, be normal about things. And along the same lines, don't overpower a tasting room with your Axe body spray or your $500 perfume or whatever. People are there trying to smell wine. They're not trying to smell you. Yeah, I don't want to smell you. I mean, not you personally, Anne. I want to smell you. I don't want to smell other people. That also sounded weird. I wasn't going to comment on it. I'm just going to cut it out. <laughs> well, now I want it to stay in because now it's funny because I've made it weird. <laughs> All right. And finally, and please, everyone do this. Don't forget sunscreen. Uh, even on cloudy days, the sun of the vineyard with that may have little shade cover can quickly turn a fun day into a very painful sunburn. So protect your skin. You only have one set of skin. Get a cute hat. Live your best life. Spray on that 70 SPF strength sunblock. Do whatever you need to do. But y- you don't want to ruin a good trip with a sunburn. So those are our tips Do with them what you will. I mean, they should listen. Do the do's, don't the don'ts. Well, 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 what have we here? Is this a Chardonnay I see before me? Drea, are you ready for this? Reluctantly. We are drinking the Electric Chardonnay Acid Test by Brand from... False Germany. Sorry, Germans. And the reason that we selected this bottle was so that Drea will shut her damn mouth about Chardonnay. So get excited. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. 
The price point for this bottle, if you would like to pick one up, is about 20 to $25, so a little higher than some of the bottles we've drank, but certainly not out of the question. Um, and I would say this is, like not even having drank it yet, this bottle is worth it for the label alone. It is this gorgeous, super cool, weird artwork label. It feels very 70s, but also very Art Nouveau meets the Beatles yellow submarine, um, but with wine. So there is like a rainbow coming out of a wine cup and there are, I don't know, they look like angels, but they're actually just winos, like same thing. spreading the good news of wine all over the label. It's, it's very busy and very beautiful and you should get it. The ABV is about 12%. So again, right in the range of what we're usually drinking. And yeah, I can't wait. Oh, Chardonnay, Chardonnay, Chardonnay. So as our listeners well know, Chardonnay has long been my nemesis. Um, but there's a caveat to this, right? Uh, California's oak Chardonnays have long been my nemesis. Chardonnay itself is, you know, or can be, I should say, a great grape for wine. And um, this bottle is a really good example of the type of Chardonnay that I like to drink. So um, it's time for me to drink my words. And the moment I suggested to Anne that we do a Chardonnay, she was like, oh, absolutely. Uh, We also thought it would be a fun pick this time around because, you know, there's this mythology that no white after Labor Day. And while that stemmed from some like rich people Hamptons bullshit about, you know, the color of your clothing, no, don't wear white after Labor Day. I think it's also really leaked into the wine industry. You know, there's this mythology that you should only drink white wines in the spring and the summer and your reds in the fall and the winter, which I think is just like other bullshit. I think you should drink what you like when you like to. And also, you know, earlier in my jeers, we talked about the fires in wine country and global warming. Hey, guess what? It's September. It's still fucking hot out. It's ridiculously hot out. It was just in Palm Springs. It was 100 and goddamn 10. So, you know, it's still hot. You can still have your nice chilled whites. And even going into the fall, I I love a white wine that still has some structure and some body to it um, that I can really enjoy with lighter dishes. So, uh, we'll, you know, we'll get into the food pairings with things like poultry and fish and roasted vegetables um, and stuff like that. I also still really like to course out wine with a really nice meal. And so, you know, this would be a really nice choice for an appetizer course or um, a charcuterie course. So yeah, I, this is a Chardonnay that I do not hate and we're going to talk about why. But before we get into that, let's like get a little real about Chardonnay in general. So yes, I know I give it a lot of shit, but it actually has a lot of history as a grape. So even today, it's one of the world's most popular grapes. And it's popular because Chardonnay is a wine that can be made in a wide range of styles. So everything from sparkling to still, from 
oaky, deep butter bombs to really bright, acidic, crisp whites. They can be grown in warm climates, in cooler climates, and that's all going to have a bearing on the flavor of the grape. So it's an incredibly versatile grape for winemaking, uh, which is, you know, something you often don't hear about with a Chardonnay. You know, there tends to be, I think, this myth that it's all one style. But as we've talked about many times on the show, all these grapes have an extreme amount of range to them. Everything is dependent on soil and climate um, and farming practices and fermentation practices. And so if you think you know Chardonnay, but really only drink California shards, like get a bottle of this and have your mind blown. Um, So let's just talk a little bit about my nemesis first, the Oak Chardonnay. So Oak Chardonnays are Chardonnays that are aged in primarily new oak barrels. Okay. Uh, Typically they're either French or American oak, uh, but on the market, you're also seeing a lot of Hungarian oak um, as well. These days it's a little bit cheaper, but that oak barrel gives the wine a very rich, buttery, in some cases for like your lower end Chardonnays, I would say even an oily texture to them. Tend to be very heavy, very aromatic. Um, I just gagged when you said oily. Yeah, it's it like it's not my favorite. But I mean, the other thing too is there are like those are the cheaper. That's on like the cheaper end, you know, kind of mass produced garbage um, that you're going to like if you buy a Chardonnay from five dollars at the grocery store, like may the force be with you. Good fucking luck. But and this is not to say that, you know, you have to spend a lot of money on wines you, you certainly don't. We've featured some great value wines on the podcast previously, but there are some varietals where, you know, if you want that traditional oak Chardonnay, you're going to need to drop some coin on it. There are a couple I do like. Fela makes one that is out of California that is fantastic. Their price points are close to $60 a bottle and up, right? And so that's what you're paying for, though, is that finesse. So you do get some higher end ones that are really well-rounded coming out of California, in particular Napa Sonoma uh, and Burgundy as well in France. Then we have the Unoak Chardonnays. So um, these are, if we're talking French wines, we're talking like a Chablis. And we were also seeing a lot of Chardonnays pop up in places like Chile, New Zealand, Um, smaller regions of France, and then frankly, in the United States at smaller natural producers and urban wineries. Um, And when we say unoaked, that means that they have been um, aged in steel tanks or concrete vats, or like concrete um, jars. They look like eggs almost. I call them an egg. These wines tend to really hold on to the structure of their fruit. And so they tend to be a bit brighter, a bit more acidic, well, a lot more acidic, actually. And I favor these types of Chardonnays because you really get the essence of the grape. You get the fruit, you get more of the terroir in in that glass because you're not masking it with the oak. So that is always my preference, and that is what we are drinking today. Let's just talk a little bit about the history of Chardonnay. Uh, the grape originated in a, in the small village of Char- 
Chardonnay in France. And the name Chardonnay originally meant place of thistles or thistle-covered place. Uh, so that's a little bit about the word. I know you like words, and so there we go. Adorable. And <laughs> isn't it cute? Thistles. I'd rather call it thistle wine. I feel like we should just rename it. The other thing to note is that Chardonnay comes in many names. Uh, and so by law, for example, in France, if a label says Chablis, so if it's a French Chablis, it's that's a Chardonnay grape. You're essentially drinking Chardonnay. Uh, and if you see uh, Blanc de Blancs on a champagne label or a sparkling label, you are almost certainly drinking 100% Chardonnay or a very high, like, 90 to 95% Chardonnay content blend. So those are just a couple of the other names that you should look out for if you are, if you want to be a Chardonnay drinker to kind of diversify your Chard field a little bit. Today, Chardonnay is now the most widely planted white grape variety in the world. So, you know, fuck what I say, like people love their Chardonnay, okay? And because of that, though, there is a Chardonnay out there for everyone. Case in point, this bottle that we just cracked open. Even you? Even me. Even me, you know, Chardonnay has long been my arch nemesis, yet here we are. And full disclosure, when we settled on this bottle, I actually purchased two. And I previewed it earlier this week, because since I don't drink a ton of Chardonnay, I really wanted to have like to spend some time with it on my palate. I wanted to drink it at a couple different temperatures. I wanted to really kind of get a good handle on what I was tasting um, so that I would be prepared for today's episode. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little pissed off at myself for how much I liked it. All right. So do you want to tell us a little bit about this wine that you spent time with? I do. So this is kind of a fun one. The winery is called Brand. And this is, again, an unoaked Chardonnay. And this particular bottle is actually 90% Chardonnay and 10% Riesling, uh, which is another very popular common German varietal. And so that small bit of Riesling that's added to the wine uh, really heightens and sharpens the aromatics. So Riesling tends to be a highly aromatic white um, that gives the wine a really expressive bouquet and, you know, kind of deepens some of the flavor profiles that are already there. The final product is a wine that's even more expressive than what it would be if it were a 100% Chardonnay. The other cool thing about Brand is that they are certified organic and biodynamic. So their first organic vintage was the 2017 vintage. Uh, in their vineyards, they only spray low amounts of copper and sulfur. And they also practice biodynamics in the vineyard. And they use assorted soaps, oils, herbs, and teas on the vines to treat them as needed. So um, they're really fighting the good fight with sustainable farming practices and producing their wines. So in your glass this time around, let's just talk about some of 
the basics. The age on the vines that these this particular Chardonnay comes from is about 25 to 30 year old vines. So, you know, they're they're pretty young um, in the grand scheme of things, especially coming from a wine country, wine growing country like Germany that has a long tradition of winemaking. So pretty young vines. Uh, the soil is very lime, limestone rich. And this is perfect for growing varieties of grapes like Chardonnay that do really well in the Burgundy region, for example. So um, you're going to get some of those classic uh, Burgundy terroir-esque flavors out of this particular glass. And then, of course, it is unoaked and aged in a steel tank. All right, so we've given you a little information about the winery. Let's talk about the region, uh, which is false. And I'm sure I'm butchering that, but I'm a Mexican who can't really roll her R's. So, you know, you get what you get, people. Uh, but Falls is located in the southern corner of Germany near the French border and has really been a key wine producing region in Western Germany. And so if you think about like where the Rhine River is and the local mountain range, it's actually a pretty small area. It covers a rectangle of land about 45 miles long and 15 miles wide, um, which isn't huge, but uh, they do grow quite a bit of wine grapes there. In terms of climate, uh, like most of Europe, this area is part of sort of the oceanic climate zone that gets influenced by the Atlantic. And average temperatures are about 10 degrees Celsius. The air can be fairly wet and they have mostly westerly and southwesterly winds um, that leads to precipitation in the local mountain ranges. But it does warm up on its way further down into the valley. So, you know, very much like some of the other regions we've talked about where there's that nice balance, right? You have areas within the region that are going to lend themselves to warmer climate grapes, and then you have areas that are going to lend themselves to cooler climate grapes uh, as well. And I, f I found some stuff out about the history of the region, like who knows if Anne will cut it or not, but it's kind of cool. So this particular area of Germany has gone through a lot of um, the hands of conquest over the years. So it was originally a Celtic region and it was conquered by the Romans and became part of the Holy Roman Empire, but it was also eventually ruled by the French and the Bavarians. So there's a lot of inf cultural influences that have kind of created this small region in Germany. And once again, it was those drunk-ass Romans who brought cultivated vines and wine-growing techniques to the region around 1 AD. So again, they've been making wine in this area for a long, long time. So what kind of wine are they making? They grow about 45 white and 22 red grape varieties in this small area of land, which is a huge amount of variation um, that I find really fascinating. And the overall production is split between about 61% white wine and 39% red wine. So it is predominantly a white wine region, um, which makes sense considering, you know, 
Germany and it being known for, for Rieslings and other dry whites. Uh, so, yeah, to that point, the wines of this region are traditionally dry, but have a full body. There are a few sweet wines and dessert wines that come out of here as well. And the red wines that do come out are about 13% ABV. So still in the lower end for a red wine, um, you're not going to get like a huge Bordeaux style wine coming from... Um, this area of Germany. Since the 1990s, there's also been an increased production in sparkling wine um, made from Riesling. So that's been uh, kind of their most recent claim to fame in this area. The vineyards that this particular wine that we're drinking today, the Electric Chardonnay Acid Test, the vineyard that it comes from, the temperatures there are actually a bit on the cooler side for this region. So the Chardonnay um, that the brand farm comes out of has a little bit more acidity than you would normally see in a Chardonnay. And so the result then is what the tech sheet describes as a no-nonsense, organically farmed young vine Chardonnay that is ripe yet sizzles with energy and acidity. So when we taste it, let's find out if it lives up to that promise. So this cooler climate limestone rich vineyard is from um, Falses Mittelhart region. I totally fucked that. I am so sorry. And it's a good like 45 minutes south, basically, of um, like the the major central center of Fats. It borders a village called... Bockenheim? Did I get that right? I feel like that's right, right? I mean, the thing about German is it's much more like what it says is what it means. I don't know what that means for faults, but Bockenheim feels right. It's this really interesting historic area there in southern Germany that um, is actually known for like their beautiful gardens, and it's a very popular tourist uh, destination. So it's kind of more pastoral and it doesn't have that same like working agriculture f- feel that the Northern Fats does. So the, the, the two brothers who own Brand, Daniel and Jonas Brand, have decided to kind of set up shop there where they can quietly experiment um, with zero sulfur winemaking practices. And so not only do they make this wine, um, they make a couple of pet gnats that they've really been working hard on. They make large format wines. Uh, That's kind of how they started. But they've really have kind of given into the landscape there um, and have worked on those sustainable farming practices in that space to really hone their craft. And what's interesting is, you know, they're they're super young. We'll have to post a photo of them on our Instagram account. They're, they they look like babies. They're so young and cute. Uh, but it, it makes it seem like they're just like these two bros making wine. I mean, and they are, but they actually come from some pretty rad pedigree. Um, so their father, Jurgen, 
did I, I probably fucked that up too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Daddy Brand, uh, was one of the first advocates for environmentally conscious agriculture in Fats region and in Germany. And he joined, um, like one of the founding organic organizations for farming in 1994. It wasn't though until the brothers really kind of got started um, in the winemaking business in about 2014 that they made the complete transition to organic and biodynamic viticulture practices. Um, as we've talked about on the podcast before, you know, each country sort of has a whole list of things that you need to do and accomplish and document and practice in order to get that designation. And even though a lot of farms do those things, the amount of paperwork and bureaucracy to get that government certification is insane. So a lot of them make natural wines, but don't necessarily have that designation. But the brothers really made it a point to go through those processes and make sure that um, the brand wines would get that organic and biodynamic certification. Okay. Should we get into it? I think we should. So I feel like this wine is as interesting to look at as the bottle and label are pretty. Um, It's it's kind of different than the other whites that we have had before. Yeah, so I actually wasn't prepared for that when I opened up the bottle for the first time. You know, it's when you have a bottle that's tint, like the glass is tinted, it's really hard to see sometimes the color of the wine. And that was the case here. So I was kind of in for a surprise when I poured it out. Um, f- first off, it is this beautiful shade of buttery yellow like it almost looks like the shade of a daffodil and um frankly i think it looks like something that would be called electric acid test like that's how that would look (laughs) so it's this really vivid um pretty yellow yeah i would say it's also like almost lemony in appearance oh yeah let's see i have a lemon around here somewhere yeah for sure And I think that that lemony appearance um, is even further confirmed because it's cloudy. Yeah. Uh, That was something I was not expecting from this bottle. Um, I didn't realize that it is unfiltered. doesn't say anywhere on the label that it's unfiltered or on the spec sheet, but like one look at it, it's unfiltered. It doesn't have like a ton of sediment or anything because the sugar content's so low and the acidity's so high, but it's definitely an unfiltered wine. Yeah, like if you look down and look into your glass, it's basically like looking into an Instagram filter. I think this might be the cloudiest wine we've drank on the podcast, at least in terms of whites. Like I know we've definitely talked about it before with the Pet Nat and with other things, but this one does feel much more cloudy and it's, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think unfiltered wines, too, is an emerging trend, Um, not even just in the natural wine industry. Uh, When I tasted both Impasso and Los Olivos recently, you know, there were a number of unfiltered wines um, that I had the opportunity to try. And I'm trying to think, yeah, we did the Pet Nat, that definitely unfiltered because of that fermentation in the bottle. Uh, the orange wine we did recently from Sardinia, that was unfiltered. I feel like we had a rosé that maybe was unfiltered at some point. Yeah, I just don't think any of them had sort of the cloudiness that, that these do. 
or that this does? No. And, and part of that is the sugar too, okay. because the, you know, when like with a pet nat or with a, um, the orange wine, if you have, like, if you take that pet nat bottle and you stand, I think we talked about this on that episode, you stand it up in the fridge, you know, for like 24 hours before you open it, all that sediment is going to go to the bottom of the bottle and it's going to clarify the wine that's at the top of the bottle. And so it's a little bit clearer, but this one is just like going strong here, but there is no sediment because that first bottle I drank, I looked and I was like, there's nothing in there. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> but yeah, so don't be alarmed. If you crack it open and it looks cloudy, you didn't get a bad bottle or anything. That's, that's just the way it looks. So what about the body of this wine? Yeah, so I, I really think we should talk about body in this case, um, because if you are a Chardonnay drinker and you know your way around a, a, a Chardonnay, the body is going to be a lot different from the traditional California Chardonnay that you may be drinking. It isn't going to have that oak buttery feel, but it is going to have some depth based on the color um, and what we know about the grapes and the region. So that rich limestone soil, that unfiltered final product, um, you're still going to get a good amount of body and structure, which was honestly one of the big surprises for me with this bottle is um, it is really crisp and acidic and refreshing, but it also has some nice body. Um, a perfect post-Labor Day combination, if you ask me. <laughs> and to, to that point, um, along with body, we should also talk about acid. So it is called the Electric Chardonnay Acid Test for a goddamn reason. <laughs> um, this, if you like acidic wines, this definitely is on the higher end of, of the acid scale. Um, and it is a zinger. But Here's the thing about it. You know, a, a lot of people will tell you like, oh, a wine that has too much acid isn't good and da, 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 and you're looking for balance and you are looking for balance. But high acid doesn't necessarily mean bad um, because I would argue that this is, despite the high acid um, in the wine, still really balanced. There's definitely enough of the fruit presence from the grape that prevents this wine from becoming just a total acid bomb like it's not gonna it's not gonna shoot your palate it's 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 still really enjoyable I think to drink and to sip on I don't know that I would have necessarily called this out as being super acidic um, if you hadn't hadn't noted it and if it wasn't in the name yeah and I think too um for, like you don't drink a lot of Chardonnay either. Do you? Know what I, I think mean? what you tell so me to for, drink, so no. So, so for us, uh, it probably isn't. Like I think someone who's expecting a traditional like creamy oak Chardonnay is going to be like, "What the fuck is this?" But for us, yeah, there's not any. There's not any cream here. I don't know. I think there's a little. Anyway, okay, we'll save that for the for the real tasting discussion, but. Um, you're getting higher acid than you normally would. All right, so let's take a whiff. Let's talk about the nose. I'm going to give it a nice swirl. What are you getting on your nose? I don't know that I know. Like, I have very little, I think, to tell. I think we're moving into a new 
stage. I know, I know we talked about sort of the fruit, but I, I don't feel like I'm getting the same fruits that we've talked about before. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's for sure. You know, a lot of the whites that we've had have been very citrus forward or very like summer, summer stone fruit forward. Right. Yeah. Um, this one though is really different. And part of that is the grape. And part of that is the acidity that comes from that cool climate that the grape is, is growing in. And so on the nose, you're going to find kind of some classical, some classical, some classic Chardonnay characteristics like pineapple. So there's a little bit of okay. that tropical yeah. background and, and pineapples, a, you know, has some good acid to it if we think about it as a fruit, right? So that makes sense. I do get a little bit of citrus in the form of like grapefruit and green apple, like that tart green apple. So it's a it they're definitely softer fruits from what we normally see, you know, in comparison to like a really aromatic um like apricot or something like that, but that fruit pres- presence is definitely still there. There's almost a saltiness to it as well. To the nose? I think so, like a little bit. I could see that. Yeah. There's some herbaceousness, like some thyme. All right, so do you want you want to give this give it a taste sucker a taste and pucker up and give it a taste and see what you think. It is a super enjoyable late summer wine. Yeah, it's really nice, really refreshing, really fun. I want so this wine is not sweet at all. It is bone ass dry, yeah. but it it is giving me some straight up like green apple jolly rancher type feel Mm -hmm. to it um so that green apple definitely comes out uh i think that it's got some really nice like meyer lemon notes maybe even like a little bit of orange blossom too and you know earlier you were saying your this has no cream i actually think it does the finish on it for me does have a little bit of that creaminess, a little bit of like Tahitian vanilla. It's it is a wild ride. Like this label that you'll see on the Instagram um, does take you on quite like the seventies acid trip. I'm almost getting a little bit of like like a green tea in addition to some of the fruits that we mentioned. Yeah, like a tea leaf kind of feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's just like a little bit of um, bitterness yeah. as that kind of mellows into that softer finish. It's not, when we say bitterness, though, I want to be clear. It's not unpleasant. No, it's super nice. Yeah, I could see that. And I think once you said vanilla, then I started picking that up. It's the very end. Like, you got to stick with it. Mm-hmm. This one is a chameleon for sure. Like, I think that it kind of does somersaults and cartwheels a little bit on the palate. And if you move it around your mouth, like, that's the other thing we've talked about with tasting, right? You don't want to just, like, knock it back like you're drinking Kool-Aid. But you really want to experience the wine in all the areas of your mouth. And the goal is to coat your tongue, right? With all the different, like, kind of flavor regions on your palate there, And that's where it's going to take you for the ride. So you're going to get, you know, that fruit, you're going to get the acid, you're going to get the bitterness, you're going to get that almost sweet cream vanilla finish to it. But it's, it's a very 
dynamic wine, I think. The way that that flavor profile changes in, you know, the matter of a couple of seconds is one of the things that impresses me the most about this bottle. And this is probably the most dynamic wine we've had on the podcast. Maybe not the the best necessarily, but in terms of how that flavor profile changes and evolves, I don't think we've had another wine that even comes close to this. Yeah, it really lives up to the name. Yeah. <laughs> this would be great for all those stupid white parties that people have during Labor Day weekend. <laughs> Which brings us to our parents. <laughs> so what are you... um? What are you eating with this? I mean, it's such a crazy bottle. It has such a diverse flavor palette. Like, what are we going to eat with this? So what kind of came to mind for me immediately was watermelon. And I think it's going back to like sort of that concept you talked about of, you know, do you match the flavor or do you Mm. contrast it? And I think this is a situation where I would probably contrast with something that is super sweet, super succulent, but would kind of cut through some of what's going on here in a way that might give you a little bit of a a break. Plus, end of summer, watermelon season, this would be a great pairing, I think. Yeah, I think another really great pairing would be like corn, Mm -hmm. like sweet summer corn, if you like grilled that sucker up. Um, or all the mayonnaise all the mayonnaise (laughs) Uh, that to cut that acid yeah to cut you just need mayonnaise as a base right there you go um yeah and elote would be fucking amazing with this i would also say to like um if you're gonna serve it with a cheese plate or a cheese course i would do a soft you know, really creamy cheese. So for you basic bitches, grab yourself a brie. Cowgirl Creamery has some great cheeses that I think would pair really well with this. There's this honey goat cheese that I'm obsessed with from Trader Joe's. That would be amazing with this. Something that's gonna, you know, really balance out that acid. On the flip side, I'm not going to lie. I would totally drink this with like some Kung Pao chicken. (laughs) Something that had like that vinegary, spicy flavor background. I just think it would be so refreshing. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm still going in the opposite direction. Like what I started thinking about is like (laughs) mac and cheese or risotto or something like that. Again, sort of really playing up the creaminess. The risotto, like an asparagus risotto, that would be amazing. So what would be a situation that you would want to drink this wine? Other than a stupid white party, right? Yes, obviously. I kind of want to, like, take it to a carnival. I mean, does it sound weird? Does that sound like an episode of American Horror Story? So I was thinking (laughs) I want to drink it on a roller coaster. Like, yeah, like, go to Coney Island, drink this fucker. It's just so wild. A magic show. Yeah. You could drink this while you were at a magic show. That would be amazing. <laughs> Go to take it to Hogwarts. Wouldn't wouldn't be mad about some, you know, LSD or some Molly or something. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mushrooms. Mushrooms are an easier, like they're a little more chill. <laughs> they're gonna balance out the acid. 
you know, live up to the name yourself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Mushrooms for all occasions. I say as I plan to go to bed within the hour. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So yeah, something fun, a magic show, a carnival, a, you know, even like a board game night yeah. with friends. Like that would be so, you know what? I want to drink this while I play cards against humanity. <laughs> nice. I was thinking of something bigger. I was thinking of like, I don't know, like Settlers of Catan or something like that. Something that you could take a long time with. Girl, we're going to be drunk before we finish that game. Yeah, well, it seems like an improvement on Settlers of Catan then. (laughs) I was going to say, do you remember that Game of Thrones board game? No. Oh, God. Did I not make you play it? I made one of our other friends play it. And this thing took an... First of all, it took like 40 minutes to set up. I'm not even joking. And then I was, we were just like, this is never going to end. This is never going to end. We all just need to be like, you know, eaten by the White Walkers so this can be fucking over. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Game of Thrones, what's your book choice here? I feel like I need to be reading some like Hunter S. Thompson, Mm -hmm. um, like some crazy, yeah, like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's what I'm going to read. Or if, you know, you want something a little bit more tame, I would do just some straight, like the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm. Let's read that. I was thinking about the book you sent me earlier this summer, the album of Dr. Moreau. Yes, that's such a good book. So for for our listeners, it's a novella, more or less. And it is um, following this band, but the band is made up of like a boy band. Um, but instead of sort of like your InSync's or your Backstreet Boys, this band has like the the members of it are sort of this human animal hybrid, uh, and it's a murder mystery, and you kind of follow various characters. It's super good and super weird and super funny. Yeah, that book is amazing. I actually, um, full disclosure, I was totally drunk when I read that book because I was in Paso Robles wine tasting. <laughs> this was like in June and I I came back to my Airbnb with like a bottle of rosé that I bought that day and I cracked that fucker open and I sat out on the deck because it was beautiful and I read that book (laughs) and it was great it was great um but this wine to that book would be phenomenal I agree I feel like a good memoir of a comedian would also fit really nicely here like I'm thinking about like Tiffany Haddish's book. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, trying to think about, you know, surprisingly, I think Michael Caine's autobiography would be great too. <laughs> and I said, so I've read it, I've read it and it's, it's fantastic because he goes from like, you know, talking about these like award-winning films he's been in to like, Playing Ebenezer Scrooge with a bunch of fucking Muppets, which he obviously loved. I was going to say, you mean his best film. (laughs) Obviously his best film. (laughs) It's a classic for the ages and no one can tell me otherwise. There's got to be a, you know, I feel like the Muppet movie, like the original Muppet movie would be a good fit for this Oh, and like Muppets take Manhattan. Yeah. Okay. All right. New plan. New plan. And I don't care who knows about this. When I... I'm in New York in October. We are drinking this wine and we are watching the Muppets take Manhattan. Perfect. So prepare yourself. Perfect. I like how you said when you were in New York because you know our plans for San Diego are already full. 
Yeah, we got other stuff. We got other stuff. And you know what? All of our listeners are going to be grateful. <laughs> so what what music are you listening to with this wine? Oh, I am listening to straight up 1970s crazy. I was thinking like, the I same am listening thing. to Yep, I am listening to T-Rex. I am listening to, like, New York Dolls. I am listening to Bowie. Yep. Like, it is all 70s all the time. Yep. yep. Except disco. Don't bring that shit to me. Don't bring that shit to me. You can bring it over here to me. It's fine. Fine. You can have it. Whatever. If you go to disco night for skating, I don't, I don't know where this friendship's going to go. <laughs> I feel like I should tell you now. What about who do you want to drink this with? Hmm... I want to drink it with Freddie Mercury. Oh, fuck. I can't fucking top that. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Freddie Mercury. I also would kind of drink this with Seth Rogen. I'm not going to lie. I can see that. J- Jonah Hill. Like, just have, like, a bromance with Seth Rogen and Dro- Jonah Hill and drink this wine. Hmm. Who else would I drink this wine with? You know what? Lizzo. Yeah. She would like this wine. She's got um in that in her song Juice. I'm like Chardonnay get better over time. If you edit that out, I will murder you. We will not be friends anymore. A dinner party with Freddie Mercury and Lizzo and the swine. Only if she'll wear those assless pants. I love her. She's a goddess. Cheers to you, Lizzo. Congratulations on your new song. Yeah, cheers to you, Lizzo, for making us all be fabulous. So if you would like to get on this trip that we're on, stop by your local wine bodega. If you can find particularly a hipster wine bodega, you may have a little more luck. I needed to go to Brooklyn to get this bottle, but let me tell you, it was worth it. (laughs) If you happen to live in an area that doesn't have a hipster wine shop, uh, I highly recommend Misa, M-Y-S-A, dot uh, wine.com and they are a natural wine um, online store and you can find all sorts of goodies on there um, they also sold the Bousset the orange wine for Sardinia that we featured recently and they've got a lot of really great options so check them out and yeah you can enjoy natural wine wherever you are So for our next bottle, we are taking it local to San Diego. Um, So to celebrate Anne's triumphant return to San Diego after two long, long years, our next episode will feature a wine from a San Diego producer. So follow us on Instagram to see our next pick. We'll be announcing it soon and you can pick up a bottle and follow along. And if you like what we're doing on this podcast, if you are enjoying the wines we are picking and recommending, you know, the best way that you can support us is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode, rate, review, like the podcast, share us on social media, tell a friend that you would want to split a bottle with, hey, here's two fun chicks you want to hang out with. Um, whatever, whatever it takes to get the word out, it really helps us out. 
And if uh, you have a recommendation and you want to follow along with what we're doing and what wines we're picking, um, give us a follow on Instagram at two girls and a great pod. That's T-W-O, girls and a great pod. Uh, you can try and tweet it in at two, the number two, girls and a grape. Or you can email us at two girls and a great pod. Again, T-W-O, girls and a great pod at gmail.com. And until next time, salud. Salud.